Syracuse basketball has four returning forwards on the roster for next season. So today we take a look at their performances from last year. We take a look at what went well, what needs work, and what question marks they have heading into the 2023-2024 season. Plus, we give each of the four a grade. You guys gave your ideas on Twitter. I give my ideas on today's episode. It's a Locked On Syracuse Wednesday. So why not get right after it? Our Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, what's happening? Welcome into your Locked On Syracuse Wednesday episode. I'm Owen Valentine saying thank you so much for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen today and every day. Free and available wherever you get your podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Owen Valentine here on your Locked On Syracuse Wednesday with a new series that should take us through the rest of the week. We're talking season recaps, we're talking position groups, and we are looking at each and every player that returns to Syracuse basketball and talking what they did well last year, where they can improve, what questions they have going into next season, the things they can work on, and obviously giving them a grade for their 2022-2023 seasons. We start today with the forwards. Uh, There's four of them in the mix, Malik Brown, Benny Williams, Chris Bell, Justin Taylor. And we will progress for a bonus Wednesday episode later this afternoon where we will talk about the center position in Monir Hima and uh, Peter Carey in a very, very limited sample size. And then tomorrow's episode on Thursday to start off the month of June We will talk about the guard situation, and we're saving that for Thursday because that allows us to talk about the Judah Mintz decision in that episode, right? Tomorrow or today when this comes out at midnight, that is when we will know whether or not Judah Mintz stays or leaves for next season in the NBA draft. But today, we're talking about the forwards, and you've got a position group of four guys that all rotated through, and all had their moments, right? You had days where Malik stepped up. You had days where Benny stepped up, days where JT stepped up, days where Bell stepped up. Each and every one of these forwards had their moments and had really, really solid days where they excelled, where they were a primary scorer. Ken Palm has a metric where he he gives out an MVP in each game. And all four of these guys have one for Syracuse. And they were able to step up and sort of ham and egg the situation where you didn't have all four necessarily working at the same time, but you had a couple throughout the season that were working for certain game stretches. And that's sort of how you piece together the system this season at the three and at the four. Moving forward, I think many Syracuse fans, myself included here, would like to see two of these guys step up and establish themselves or rise to the top 
uh, as they enter this new campaign. And I think the potential is there for all four of them. Because when you look, you've got three freshmen in this mix and a sophomore. These are all really, really big jumps that you can expect or have expected. When you look at that freshman to sophomore year leap, that freshman to sophomore year boost, that's typically where you see the most growth from a player or where you can see the most growth when you get that first offseason and are able to grow at the collegiate level. There is so much to be accomplished in that first offseason. And you've got three guys that are at that helm, plus Benny Williams making that sophomore to junior year leap with a little bit more experience. I think you want two of these guys to rise to the top and the other two to still be able to very effectively supplement. I don't think you want to get to a situation where any of these guys are playing so poorly that they're not seeing the court. The best thing for this team is that two guys step up to the top and two more are able to effectively supplement those remaining minutes, right? Even if you get two guys that are playing 30 apiece, there's 20 more available minutes to be, you know, mopped up, whatever, from the other two guys. More than enough time for them to contribute, more than enough time for them to prove themselves and then get those fluctuating days where maybe you go 20-20, maybe you go, you know, 25-15, maybe it's a full flip and you go 10-30 because someone's on fire. You can still have that. But I do think you're going to want to see two guys rise to the top with a little bit more consistency. Not that you can't survive with the someone steps up every day, but that consistency thing is going to get you a lot further than trying to have to see if the second or third guy or fourth guy off the bench is the one that's going to rise for the day. So we start today, we'll talk about the most veteran of this forward group, and that is Benny Williams, sophomore uh, in the sophomore campaign for him this time around. So when we look at Benny, it's 7.2 points per game last year, 4.1 rebounds per game, and shot just a hair under 40% from three. 39.8% from deep last year. And it was a roller coaster year. It really was an, an up and down span where he had great moments and he had a lot of spurts as well where it was a struggle. It was a grind. And you really had to, to work for every single thing that you could put together. You look in the month of December, double figures in four or five games from uh, December 10th to December 31st. You look at how Benny closed the season off in his last four games, averaged 13 plus game, nine points per, or nine points in that game, 12 points per game in his last five, was nine of 13 from three in his last four games. Really, really stepped things up at the end of the year and was playing with that confidence that we haven't necessarily seen since his high school mixtapes. This is a guy that struggled mentally on the court. Uh, you think back, there were some really, really uh, powerful interviews uh, from Caleb Joseph uh, on, I believe, Eric Diefendorf's pod, uh, talking about the mental impacts of struggling at the D1 level, at a high-level college basketball program, the mental toll it takes on you when you go through a bad spurt and when you want to step it up and how difficult that is to overcome. And Benny Williams is the first person that can tell you when he's struggling. 
He's not someone that's going to give you an excuse. He's not going to say this, 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 and this. He's going to own it. He says he's struggling. He says he's got to improve on things. When he was benched and when he's getting criticism, he will come out and tell you that it's deserved. That's not the type of player he is to, to play a little victim thing. But mentally, it caught up to him a little bit this year. And there were some games and spurts of games where he was really, really lacking that confidence on the court. And some people are going to say, and this is not coming from Denny or his dad or his camp in any capacity, a lot of people will say it's the Bayheim doghouse, and that was stifling him and things like that. This is the year to prove it, right? If that's the case, under Adrian Autry, he can be a far more confident player. And that's my question for him going into next season is how confident can he be consistently? Because when Benny is confident, he can put the ball on the ground and beat you. He can shoot the ball from deep and beat you. He can dribble, pull up jumper and beat you. He can clamp you defensively. He can block the living daylights out of your shot on the defensive side of the ball. Get out and run and dunk in your face. That is the type of athleticism he's got that's the type of explosivity he's got that is the type of player that confident Benny Williams can be but that's not what we got last season day in and day out right he didn't play in either Virginia game one because he was sick one was a mental personal day whatever you want to call it the athleticism speaks for itself it really does but that confidence is what you need to figure out We'll go to Twitter for his grade on this one. Uh, Benny Williams, per the Twitter sphere, you got 41% of people give him a B grade. 45% of people give him a C grade. I leaned to the generosity side here. Maybe that's the recency bias because of how he closed the season out. Maybe it's I like Benny Williams because he wants to work it out at Syracuse. So many people would have left. After last season, so many people would have left after this season. Benny Williams sticking it out in Syracuse. I'm going to give him a B minus. Uh, and maybe I'm being too generous. You can throw your grades in the comments uh, here on YouTube or on Twitter. Uh, but I'm going to give him a B minus for this. I think given the struggles, that 40% three-point shooting I think is huge, especially looking at next season when Syracuse needs to replace their top three-point shooter in Joe Girard, I think that's going to loom large. And I do think that despite the struggles, him getting to seven-plus points per game, I'm going to give him a B-minus. We're going to we continue discussing the forwards. But before that, let's talk a little bit about FanDuel Sportsbook. Let's make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to 2000 $500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. We are heading into the NBA Finals. Who do you have? Who do you want to win? Place that future now. Place exactly how many games it's going to be. Give me the Sixers in six. Uh, I don't know exactly what that is. I saw Naheem McLeod tweeted that out. I know as a D1 athlete, you can't legally bet, but uh, he did make his prediction. 
uh, the newest and biggest Syracuse basketball player right now. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, we continue our breakdown on your Lockdown Syracuse Wednesday of the forwards from last season that return for Syracuse basketball. We just talked Benny Williams. You guys gave him somewhere between a B and a C. I gave him a B minus at this point in time. Let's take our next step. We'll click on a graphic and see what it is. Next up, we got Malik Brown. Malik Brown is who I sort of have. I have a sort of summary section uh, on my on my notes for this episode. And my, my summary is Malik Brown exceeded expectations last year. Malik Brown wasn't one of the guys in this huge six-man freshman class that you thought was going to be a big contributor. And I remember Matt Bonaparte made the prediction last year that Malik Brown should be in the starting five for Syracuse. And he took a lot of heat for that comment, for those ideas. And he ended up being right. This is a guy that simply exceeded expectations. He came in with a lot of question marks, right? A guy that, you know, has some potential at 6'8", with some decent size, some decent mobility, some decent athleticism. We weren't really sure what his role could be. And he turned in to a starting four. On this basketball team, uh, sort of paired up with Benny's struggles uh, in the the latter third of the season, averaged 5.7 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game. And this is the number that, that stands out the most is a 70% field goal percentage, which is worth, on Ken Palm's metrics, crafting a 127.7 offensive rating, which is good for 24th in college basketball. That metric, you know, that 127.7 seems a little arbitrary, but that is a metric of efficiency and effectiveness. And that number means that Malik Brown makes his shots and finishes when he shoots at one of the best clips in the country. Top 25 individual players in that metric in the country. He is a guy I have written down here that's a right place, right time type player. He scores on the alley-oop. He gets a rebound and a putback. He gets an open look when a defense goes to help. And he scores those baskets flawlessly. What he doesn't necessarily do is create for himself. And that's something that he didn't necessarily look to him to do last year. But in year two, that's one of my questions. Can he start to create for himself? Whether it be a post move, whether it be him being able to put the ball on the floor, whether it's mixing in more backdoor cuts, things of that nature, pick and roll game, things like that. Can he find more ways to score than a bit of a collapse and an alley-oop? One of the strongest assets I saw to Malik Brown and why I think he is really going to exceed in this new offense with Adrian Autry is he gets out in transition phenomenally. And a lot of that 
is on his defense, right? When he's playing solid defense, he gets steals, he gets out in transition, he gets out and moves. Block percentage per Ken Palm, steal percentage per Ken Palm, both in the top 400 in college basketball. Very, very solid metrics. Was it always there? Not necessarily. I'd like to see the defense get a little bit more consistent from Malik Brown. But he gets out and runs really well, can score in transition, can throw down in transition. And that seems like what Adrian Autry is advertising as the bread and butter of this new offense, this new era of Syracuse basketball, is that speed, that mobility, that up-tempo that I think Malik Brown at the four is able to present to a team. My biggest question for Malik Brown, given that idea of what we're looking for from Adrian Autry, is can he also play the center effectively next season at six foot eight, undersized by all definitions in terms of the center, but what you can do offensively in a more traditional five-out type scenario, if you'd like, with him is very interesting for this offense. Could it be a four out with him in the middle? Possibly, but these are all questions. And it goes to his ability to create a shot for himself a little bit more effectively, developing those post moves, being able to score a little bit more versatile or versatility. I don't know the right word there. Uh, than just open looks. And that was where he scored his points. And he did so outstandingly and really effectively, almost six points per game, doing it two, three times a game, just getting the ball and scoring when you want him to. He was a, a glue guy, a momentum guy, right? He came in with a spark a lot of the time, especially early on in the season. With that more electric feel, he came in, he got the ball moving, he got, you know, the, the ideas percolating, things like that. I love that out of it. I want to see what he can do in transition. We know what he can do, uh, and I don't want to see that necessarily. That's not the right word. I want to see what he can do in terms of improvement creating for himself. I want to see what he can do in terms of possibly playing the center next season. Uh, this is a guy that exceeded expectations in year one and I really hope he exceeds expectations in year two I give Malik Brown a B plus this season uh let's look to Twitter what did you guys give him uh Malik Brown 67 percent of votes gave him a B 22 percent of votes gave him an A um I lean towards the B on this one the B plus just because I do feel like, and this is my bigger critique about Malik Brown, I felt like there were some games with him where it just didn't feel like he was playing. He was on the court, but not necessarily doing anything, if that makes sense. He sort of got lost in the game a few too many times. Uh, and, and that's sort of where one of my bigger critiques for him comes in. Uh, you know, a lot of games where he, he put up a goose egg, one, two, uh, what else? Three, four, five, six, seven games where he scored no points. Not that that's the end of the world, uh, but it just felt like some games he was simply lost. Uh, and that's what helped me back in terms of Malik Brown. Give him a B plus. 
Uh, very, very solid freshman season. I cannot wait to see what's next uh, because I think there is a ton of potential still left for Malik Brown, especially if he can hone in on a few more of those things to work on. Next, let's look at another starting guard in Chris Bell. 6.6 points per game. The biggest critique from everyone, 1.8 rebounds per game, 35% from three. Now, Chris Bell is a guy that had some moments, right? When he was hot from three, it was really fun uh, and really impactful. And he did so pretty effectively latter half of the season, was able to do that a good chunk of the time. Nine games with 10-plus points on the year. Did it about a third of the time. What you didn't always see from Chris Bell were the other things. He can shoot the ball. He can catch and shoot, no doubt. Defensively, liability. Rebounding, liability. Many other areas of concern, liability. And so we were on this constant balance last season of, yes, Chris Bell is probably the best three-pointing or three-point shooting asset outside of Joe Girard, but does it warrant the knocks that you take on the defensive side, on the rebounding asset, and things like that? Now, my biggest question for Chris Bell going into next season is, and can he be, and this is, I, I couldn't think of a better way to phrase this, can he more consistently be athletic? And what I mean by that is I think rebounding is an athleticism thing. Rebounding, it's with that athleticism that you are able to crash the boards, position yourself. It's IQ stuff as well. It's aggression stuff as well. Um, But I, I like to think of a lot of these stats as athletic stats and being able to grab those rebounds. Can he be more consistently an athlete and crashing boards and getting out and running because we've seen him do it? He had probably the second best dunk of the year this season where he absolutely put a man on a poster. Second best dunk of the year behind Judah Minces. Right? We know he can do it. That explosivity just doesn't show itself consistently. And that, I think, will break through a barrier for him next season and can break through the ceiling for him if he can get that aggression and that more consistent explosiveness going into next year's campaign? Can he develop a little bit more, creating for himself as well? Can he put the ball on the floor, sort of like that that transition you saw uh, with Buddy Behan and coached by Jerry McNamara, right? You're still with it. Uh, you know, Buddy went from truly just catch and shoot, catch and shoot, to developing the ability to put the ball on the floor and shoot off the dribble, or a ball fake, two dribbles, and pull up for a long two or a mid-range jumper, sometimes even back a guy down to the rim. I'd love to see that type of growth or that honing in improvement for Chris Bell going into next year. And I think that's where you can see a lot of the more effectiveness from Chris Bell next season. One of the other things that I don't think I ever noticed, uh, and it just hit me as I'm looking at his stats today, Chris Bell had only 13 assists last season. 13 assists. He played 30 games. 
which means he averaged about 0.4 assists per game. I'd like to see him be able to pass the ball a little bit better. And I think that can coincide with being able to do that, that Buddy Beheim switch we just talked about. Being able to put the ball on the floor for a dribble or two. Ball fake, dribble, dribble. And then, right, you've got someone else can step. That's how you can get those passing numbers up, those assist numbers up. I think a lot of his game can develop and improve by showing that second option a little bit better, a little bit more effectively, and a little bit more frequently. Last up. Oh, I got to do a grade first. Where am I going? Your grade for our boy, Chris Bell, is split between a B and a C. You got 39% in the B. You got 48% at the C. I lean with Twitter on this one. I'm going with a C plus for this grade. Uh, There's a lot of room to improve. There were great moments. Uh, There were days where he was fun to watch. Spot on from three. Getting those big time baskets. And it happened later on. And he did it in Syracuse's last game of the year as well in the first half. But that consistency thing, the lack of rebounding, the consistent debate of is he worth playing if they can't rebound with him in brings him down to a C plus. Our final player of the day uh, is our boy JT, Justin Taylor, 4.2 points per game last year, 1.8 rebounds per game, 39% from three. Let me double check. I think I might have messed that stat up. Uh, in terms of rebounding for Justin Taylor. So let's double check. Justin Taylor, rebounds per game is 1.8. Yeah. He and Chris Bell ended up averaging the same rebounds per game, which is interesting uh, because Justin Taylor didn't necessarily get the same flack uh, that Chris Bell did. And I will say minutes-wise – Uh, That's indicative. 20 minutes versus 16. That contributes a little bit, but very interesting in that regard. A 39% three-point shooter. uh, Very effective from deep when he wanted to. Didn't necessarily have all too many huge games. Uh, Obviously, the the game that stands out the most for everyone in the eyes of Justin Taylor, or in the mindset of Justin Taylor, is the Bryant game after Judy gets tossed, and he puts up 25 points. Uh, was absolutely electric, lights out. The reason Syracuse was even competitive with Bryant. But my issue with Justin Taylor is if you remove that game from the stats, then he only averaged about 3.6 points, 3.5 points per game. If you remove the Bryant game, he averaged 3.5 points per game. And he had. Unfortunately, 11 games with zero points and only eight games with more than five. So he was more likely, right, when you look at fantasy football, there's that boom or bust type stat thing. He was more likely to completely bust with zero than he was to boom and score more than five. And so that is one of the bigger critiques with Justin Taylor is I needed to see a little bit more. Uh, He can rebound when he wants to. He can get to the paint a little bit better than Chris Bell, maybe. Uh, But he's in that same boat. And the big question with Justin Taylor is, can he switch to play the two? 
because a lot of people want him to. I think it'll be beneficial to Syracuse to have that in terms of guard depth uh, and to have him available to possibly sub at both the two and the three next year. But for him to play the two, I'd like to see him be able to dribble the ball a little bit better. He can, but obviously let's work on it, hone it in a little bit more. Uh, I'd like to see him a little bit better as a distributor. 19 assists on the season for Justin Taylor, which is just about 0.5 per game, uh, which I guess if you extrapolate over 40 minutes would be one assist per game. I'd like to see that step up a little bit. Him being able to put the ball on the floor more effectively, more frequently. Uh, All of these guys, I think, could benefit from a little bit more defensively because you are going to see that switch to man. And that switch is going to require a lot of people uh, to be more accountable defensively. The zone is more of a system thing. And yes, you can point fingers, but it is a group thing. Man defense, everyone needs to buy in a little bit more. Maybe you critique, maybe you disagree with me. Let's take a look at Twitter. The Justin Taylor grade for this past season, 57% gave a C and 33% gave a B. So I think I'm with I'm with Twitter on this one as well. I'm going to give a flat C to Justin Taylor, just a C. Um, these are normal grades as well, right? We're not boosting. We're not inflating things like that these are just the normal grades uh and i think a lot of these guys would probably agree with the numbers based on what we saw last season i'll give him a c uh i'm really looking to see can he get more consistent from three uh shot 39 percent from three last year which was solid uh, but would love to see that more consistently in terms of the 39 percent being spread across the board it was a smaller sample size So just continue to work on shooting the three because I think Syracuse is really going to have to rely on the forwards next year to shoot the three effectively because J.J. Starling, not a three-point shooter by trade. Chance Westry, not a three-point shooter by trade. You're going to need to see the forwards supplement, step in, uh, and shoot effectively from deep. And so that's really what we're looking for out of Justin Taylor next season. If you agree, let me know in the comments. If you disagree, throw your grades in there. Did anybody here deserve an A? Did anybody in here deserve a D or worse? Let me know. Throw it in the comments on Twitter. Uh, Throw it in the comments on YouTube. Let me know. Uh, But that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On Syracuse. I'm Owen Valentine saying thank you so much for tuning in, making Locked On Syracuse your first listen today and every day. Stay tuned because we're not done with Wednesday content. Uh, Look around 4.30, 5 o'clock this afternoon, and we'll break down the centers the same way we did the forwards today. So we go Benny Williams with a B-, minus, Malik Brown with a B+, Chris Bell with a C+, and Justin Taylor with a C. Those are the forward grades at this point in time. I'm Owen Valentine. I'll see you later today. Make somebody smile. Be kind today, uh, and I will see you then. Peace.